Hello, I'm Dr. Judy Puddyfoot, a veterinary surgeon from the UK, and this is the Underdog Vet Podcast. In each series, I'll bring you the Animal Advocate interviews, where you can join me as I chat to some truly inspiring people who have dedicated their lives to improving the health and welfare of animals around the world. Guests include a variety of people, including vets, campaigners, and those who have founded or work for animal charities. But one thing they all have in common with you and I is that they're passionate animal advocates. Feel free to hit the subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Details on how you can get in touch are at the end of this episode. And I hope you enjoy this latest instalment. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the very first episode of the Underdog Vet Podcast. I am ridiculously excited for you to hear this episode. For the very first Animal Advocate interview, I chatted with the inspirational Michael Baines. A chef by profession, but a dog rescuer by choice, Michael left his native Sweden and moved to Thailand in 2002, where he has simply become known as the man that rescues dogs. Michael is the president and co-founder of the Man That Rescues Dogs Foundation. Since it was established in 2011, the foundation has grown massively and now cares for more than 1,000 dogs. It has taken over the running of the local government dog shelter and has a fully equipped, free of charge veterinary clinic. Michael and I talked about how we got into rescuing dogs, how the foundation was started, living with 18 dogs in your home, and of course, the infamous wheelchair mafia. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you because I think what you're doing is amazing out there in Thailand and I want to know everything about it. But my first question to you is, how on earth does a Swedish restaurateur end up in Thailand rescuing dogs? Well, first, Jody, thanks for having me. This is uh, it's fun. I, I like to be on interviews and podcasts and I can speak forever if you don't mind that. Uh, how, how I turned up. Actually... I'm, I'm born in Scotland. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's why my name Michael Baines. Well, it's, and, it's not a we, particularly Swedish name. I did one. It's not. No, 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 that's <laughs> not. Uh, we moved to uh, Sweden when I was only two years old. I'm born in 1967. 69, we moved to Sweden because there was no work in, in Scotland and there was lack of workforce in, in Sweden. So we moved there. Uh, why I moved to Thailand? I wanted a break in my life. I wanted to... If I, I was, I'm a chef since 35 years and uh, working in the restaurant business in Sweden is kind of hard, um, probably in the whole world to work in the restaurant business. So I needed, I needed to um, step out of my zone. I wouldn't say comfort zone, but my zone, the way I was living. So I moved to Thailand uh, because I went with a, a mate of mine in 1999 because I was wondering why he went there. What made Thailand so fantastic for him because he was there during the, the Swedish winter and then he went back to Sweden in the summer so I joined him and I went there for six weeks and I fell in love with the country and of course a girl <laughs> so I went back 
seven times in one and a half year. And that was uh, with my traveling. So I applied for a, work, a job here uh, in the restaurant business. And I got the job and I moved here 2002 in May. It's 20 years now. So that's, that's how I ended up here. And then how did you get involved in dogs and rescuing dogs? I mean, we all know, I think most people are very aware that there are you know, a lot of stray dogs in that part of the world. But have you always had a, a love of, of dogs, animals, dogs in particular? Or was it something that just happened when you happened to be there? When I was young, maybe about 10, 11 years, we had a, a German Shepherd. My, my stepfather had a German Shepherd. And he was around us for two years and then he passed away. So I wasn't really a dog person that time. And when I moved here, I was, I just saw the dogs everywhere. I, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't mind them. I didn't care about them at that time. So for 10 years, I was almost like, you know, I, I just saw them around and sometimes they jump on me or, or scare me and I got scared and I, and I didn't like them so much. So uh, I, I, no, I wasn't really fond of them. I didn't, I, I was like, I was fond of them, but I didn't really care about them. What on earth changed them? Because this is, you've done a complete 180 then. Your life now is pretty much dedicated to dogs. What on earth happened yeah. to, to cause that? Uh, what happened was that uh, I had a restaurant in another part of Thailand, um, in Rayong, and, and uh, it was an open air restaurant. And one day there was a, a dog that showed up behind my restaurant and she was in such in bad shape. She was skinny and she had infections and wounds and bruises and, and she just had puppies. And she just looked in my eyes and said, please help me, I'm hungry, I need help. And that touched me so much. So I started to feed her, started fed her every day. And she came back at five o'clock in the afternoon every day. I gained her trust, managed to take her to a clinic. And uh, she was um, uh, there for 10 days. And then we found her puppies. We didn't know, I, th I thought she didn't have any puppies. You know. I checked if she had milk and nothing came out. So I thought her puppies have died. We took her to a clinic and then we found her puppies. So they got reunited. So the puppies had been alone without the mum for 10 days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. How old were they when you found them? I don't know, maybe three months, four months. I don't know how they found food, but anyway, that was, hmm. a, that was kind of amazing. So they got reunited. And after that, I started to feel more and more for helping the dogs. And at that time in that area was a, a dog rescue foundation called Dog Rescue Thailand. And all of the people that started this one had went home to Sweden. And the founder was in Sweden and left were two girls, a mom and a daughter that were feeding the dogs on the street. So I joined them and I start to help them. And I start to rescue more dogs. And I started getting more and more involved in this. And, uh, and like you said, it was a 180. And I, and I just start to look at the dogs like living souls. And they, they touched me and they were touched my soul. That was, that was 11 years ago. So 11 years ago, that one dog, if you hadn't sort of, if she hadn't come around begging for food at the back of your restaurant, you... you... I would probably have a decent <laughs> life now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be sharing your home with 17 dogs. <laughs> that, that's that's 18, 18. Uh, that's, 18. So, that's true. Yeah, 18. That's true. I would probably wow. had a, a life. My restaurant would have been making a lot of money, you know. Yeah, but, free you, time. but you wouldn't have been, no. the soul wouldn't have been touched by dogs. That's got to no. be worth more than that. So eventually, uh, after that first dog 11 years ago, 
you're now, um, you know, the co-founder of, of the foundation, that, the man that rescues dogs, which is a foundation and a sanctuary for dogs. Tell us about that. How did that all come about then? And what do you do now? I want to go, I want to go back a little bit because I moved from Rayon up to Bangsan, where I started working 20 years ago, opened up my own restaurant. And I started the same crusade there, feeding dogs on the streets. And then in 2016, we got contacted by a social media platform called Newsner. And they were working at that time with Animal Bible in the UK. And that year in 2016, April, there was a clip that went viral. Uh, the Animal Bible had 40 million views in just one month. 200 million people have seen us, or me, feeding the dogs. And the music and all of this, people start to donate. And they started to follow my page. It, it was aired in 25 languages, in, in many countries, and articles. The Unilad, the Dodo, Lad Bible, or everything you think about, Board Panda, and so on. I rented a house in 2016 and hired staff so we can rescue more dogs. That was in 2016. 2017, we took over this shelter, the municipality shelter. The foundation has already been registered in Sweden since 2013. So in 2017, we start to apply for a foundation here in Thailand. And it took actually quite a long time because the bureaucracy here is kind of a difficult thing, all paperwork. So we, we, um, we moved all, all the dogs from the old care unit or foster home that we rented in a gated community because we got evicted up to this place. So in 2017, I visited the local dog town and it was really crap. The dogs were so skinny and sick and there were 100 dogs in 150 square meters doing nothing, concrete floor and dirty. And I'm a good friend of the mayor here. So I called him up. I said, I'm taking over. And he said, that's fine. And uh, so I did. You just took over municipality dog shelter. To be fair, they were probably glad that somebody took the stress and the finances off their hands, right? Of course. I mean, the thing is here in Thailand, there are many people that care for dogs. There are a, a handful of big foundations and there are people that do this full time. With no backup from the government. We don't have that. And most of the time, the municipalities in other cities are fighting with these people instead of collaborating. You have to cooperate in this because it's not, I, I cannot do this alone. And the municipality cannot do this alone. So if, if the municipality have a crazy guy like me, want to do this full time, welcome. And that's what he did. Because, but he'd be good friends and he's a dog lover. So we have a good cooperation. Uh, very nice. So how many dogs would you say you have at the sanctuary at the moment? Yeah, we have around 688. 688? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> but uh, we just took in eight puppies two days ago. Mum was hit by a car or several cars. She died. And her puppies, about one month old, were just in need of help. So we took oh. them in a few days back. So around that, 690. And then we have about 350 dogs on the streets that we feed and monitor daily because uh, they live in safe areas and uh, out of danger of, you know, many cars. Of course, there are cars here and motorbikes, but they live okay. So and we don't move them. No, of course. So, so you support dogs that just live out, you know. <clears throat> Like you said, in, in areas that aren't, they're not, not owned, are they, these, these dogs? Obviously, they're just street dogs. Some have owners also, but they, they prioritise 
in, in their families with the expenses and usually they only give them rice. Mm. That's not nutritional. So we give them more nutrition. And, mm. and also we, we can spay and neuter them, of course, and we can medicate them if they're sick. And what's the general sort of attitude of, of the Thai people towards dogs and what you're doing? Have you been sort of welcomed? In a strange way, yes. Maybe in the beginning people were, there, let's say like this, you have 2% that care too much about dogs. They dress them up in, in small dresses and push them around in, in carts. Then you have 2% that hate dogs and want to kill them. Then you have the most, the population is like they, indifference. You know, they, the dogs are there. I don't, I don't like them. I don't hate them. I'm, I'm okay with them. Maybe not that ratio, but you understand what I'm getting at. But it takes only one idiot to destroy everything that we build up. I've had uh, in 2000, 2015, I think, somebody poisoned all my stray dogs on the street. Outside my restaurant for no purpose at all. So there you have it. One guy with, uh, uh, what's the name? The coolant that you put in the car. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's all it takes for rat poison. Yeah. So, so in the beginning, people, they probably looked at me at, in a strange way. Like, what the hell is he doing? You know, a foreigner feeding the dogs. But they, they hung. They said good and so on. And um, I have a few arguments with some people, but usually I tell them to just go away. But now, as we become bigger and we have more dogs and we are more well-known, uh, I mean, even in media here or, or Facebook, Instagram, people are now looking up to me and my foundation and my staff. How many staff do you have looking after your 690 dogs out there? I have around uh, uh, 42 staff, I think. Amongst them are two veterinarians, three vet assistants, three admins, 26 caretakers, uh, six construction workers. The construction workers are six in total, but four are temporarily uh, employed by us because we are expanding and we are building the clinic. And those, I mean, obviously I've got a vested interest in the vet bit, being a vet myself. Presumably those two vets have got a pretty full on job every day with the amount of dogs you've got and do you bring some of those street dogs those 350 street dogs that you look after as well you said you can obviously medicate them and, and do you bring those in and neuter them and then release them again is there any sort of yeah. program like that yeah we do spay and neuter and we, we we release them to the same place if they are living in a safe place well the thing is here that we had three vets uh one of just stopped working she wanted to stop working with uh, the department of livestock development the thing is, our clinic is free of charge for everyone. It's an open clinic. Anyone can visit us with their animals. And um, if they want to spay and neuter, they have to book the time. And we do in the afternoon usually. And if we have four vets, we can do all day if we, we don't have an emergency operation or surgery. But we try to spay and neuter as many as we can. And the thing is, with a free of charge clinic, many people in, the, in Europe and in America, they're like, wow free how can it be free the thing is that investment wise we have invested a lot of money in this clinic we have an x-ray machine and it's 1.2 million baht which is a lot of money ultrasound blood lab it costs a lot if you test let's say a dog have blood parasite which is very common and we we check the blood and we give them doxycycline for one month that's 50 baht for us. 50 baht is nothing yeah and if that dog goes untreated 
they're probably going to get dumped by the owner and then start to bleed from the nose. They cannot walk and they lose the appetite. And then we have to rescue a dog from the street and probably going to have a blood transfusion. And that's going to cost us more than 50 bucks. So this is the reason, because as I said, many of the people here, they prioritize themselves first before the dogs. I kind of understand that if you look at the living condition, I would never do that. My dogs come first, always. But I understand them. So this is the reason why we had free of charge. Obviously, as you've mentioned, that's, you know, veterinary care, as I'm well aware, is, is, is a costly business. Um, how are you managing to fund this? Uh, do you get some funding from the government? You said you work with them a, a little bit, or is it all voluntary donations? Or how do you fund this amazing work? All, all the money is coming from donations around the world. We have a deal with, uh, with the local municipality, but we don't pay any rent where we are. We don't pay any electric. We don't pay any water. And they supply us with dry food for the shelter dogs. And this is a total of 100, 150,000 a month, which is quite a good deal. The clinic medication here is not that expensive. There are some that are very expensive, of course, but if you look at the most common, you know, we use antibiotics, amoxiclav, amoxicillin, doxy, and then we, uh, like vincristine because there's a lot of TBT cancer here. So the vincristine is also cheap. So this is the most common. Then we also have more severe cases, but 90% are this. But we do spend a lot. I think the clinic costs us around 300,000 a month to run. But that will be including staff also. But anyway, we will have uh, two more veterinarians. So, yeah, we can do more. I just wanted to move on to talk about, um, as people will see um, from your Instagram page, um, and one of the, the, the posts that obviously caught my attention, and I'll put the Instagram post, uh, the, the Instagram link underneath this uh, podcast so everyone can obviously go and see it. But you get a lot of obviously disabled dogs, um, you know, dogs that have lost limbs or lost use of their limbs. Um, and, yeah, I, I just... Do you know when I'm having a bad day at work? I go to your page and I look at the videos and it's really crazy because I see dogs all bloody day. Yeah. I go look at your dogs because I see the dogs that are... God, it's really upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, that's fine. That's good. It's, How do you not I, get I, upset? I, I don't mean upset in a, in a negative way or... No, it's a positive. Emotionally. Constantly. Yeah, it's a positive, getting, it's a happy way. Uh, yeah, I do, I do. When I when I, I when I talk to you the first year, and I actually held back my, my tears about the first dog, and I, I start like now I do it again because I when I always I talk about her, I, I get emotional and I have a little tear and so on. But well, I'm used to these guys. You know, I see them run every day. <laughs> you know, the 34. We have 34 now in wheelchairs, and I see them every day, and it's so fun. Every time they run out in the afternoon through the gates, they just run, 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 run like they've never run before in a wheelchair. And it's, they're so happy. Yeah. And that's the video I see. And it's, it's always the dogs in wheelchairs that they, they're housed together, I presume. And you open the gate and they all just come flying out like this giant yeah. of crazy wheeled dogs. And I'm like, yeah. it's so uplifting and it just warms your heart. And there's, these dogs are just, they're so happy. I think we've got a lot to learn from dogs about living in the moment and, and, and yes. thinking stuff. And these dogs, you know, yeah, they might have lost one or two limbs or the use of their hind limbs, but you pop them in some wheels and my God, they're off. They've got life again and, and away they go. And 
it's just so heartwarming to see those videos. Honestly, they're all it's saved on my Instagram, so I can go back. You know, people ask me how I can, how can I do this job? How, how do you say in English? How do I manage the suffer and the pain? But that's exactly how I do it. You look at the wheelchair mafia, as we call them. They, they have a second life. They, they just, I take that. I take it, man. Give me a wheelchair. I'm fine. And they are. And that's how I, I get over this, the pain and I, how I see it. When I see uh, dogs that, you know, hit by car, I, I, I can go back to all the pictures I have from all the guys in wheelchair or even other dogs that have been suffering. And I, when I see them, I say, you'll be fine. We're going to fix you up. You hurt now, but we give you some painkillers. Tramadol is coming your way now. So just take it easy and we will make you happy again. And they say, okay, buddy. And we do it. I get the other question when, when um, if a dog dies uh, in an early stage of the rescue and they ask me if I get sad, I do get sad. No doubt about that. But I'm more sad that it didn't have a good life. Exactly. That makes me sad. It's quality over quantity again, isn't it? It's not about having a, you know, how long a dog has lived for. It was about how good that life was. But you're right. I think it's really one of the only ways that I guess you continue doing what you do is to absolutely not focus on the ones that you couldn't save or the ones that didn't make it, but focus on the ones that did. Go and see the, the wheelchair mafia every day. And that's going to remind yeah. you that this is, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is... This is why you get up every day and why you do this. Um, yeah. Um, right on cue, just as I say that, a three-legged dog limps past in the background of the video. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's Flower. Flower, uh, yeah, Flower is rescued from nearby Pattaya. And uh, she actually had an amputation before she came to us. And she got, they released her back on the street. And I don't... I don't know, somebody contacted us a few years back and we took her in. So now she's in my family. I have three dogs with three legs and I have one dog that is paralyzed in his, his cork. He's the founder of Wheelchair Mafia. He's the, the OG and he has been with me for 10 years. And uh, yeah, he's, he, he knows his wheelchair so good when he drives close to the edges and so on. Then I have a, a completely blind dog. She had TBT cancer in her eye and uh, removed that eye and then she was blind on that one. So, but she's fine. I have uh, another dog, Baloo, nerve damage here, blind on one side and a little bit like that. And then I have another dog with a heart failure. She's young, she's probably not going to make it. And uh, I, I don't think about, she's going to die soon. No, that's going to die soon. You know, live in the moment, do the best we can, make sure they get the right medication. And if they don't make it, then they don't make it. What can you do? You cannot make miracles happen. No, exactly. You can do what you can do, right? You can just do the That's best. That's the only thing. You just need to focus on the positive and all the good outcomes and, and not, not the bad stuff. And that's the same, in, you know, on a smaller scale, but every veterinary surgeon has to do that. You have to focus on the good ones and, and, and they're not the ones that, that weren't savable. And it's not through you not doing everything that you absolutely possibly could. You know, you do. But talking about that, I imagine there are some difficult decisions you have to make. Do you ever have difficult decisions where you have to make um, life-changing sort of decisions like that? We always try, if we take in a case, uh, it doesn't matter how severe it is or how easy it is or how the dog is fine or not, but uh, 
we do always give them a chance to show us that they want to live. We don't take in a dog that are in a severe state and put to sleep right at the moment. We don't do that. We just, okay, let's see, give it a few days because sometimes dogs, they, they can go either two ways. I've seen dogs that have been so bad shape, but it's still walking. They're still trying to survive. They find the food, they find the water, and then we take them in. The next day, bam, they're gone. It's, it's almost like they, they, on pure will, because dogs, they don't know when to stop walking. They know they have to stop walking because they need food and they need shelter and so on. So they don't understand that. So the moment we take them in, they relax. And then it's like, thank you and bye-bye, which is fine. It's with that time. And I was like, okay, okay, buddy. And, and sometimes, you know, we have seen dogs that have gone from, he's not going to make it until a full, full, full member of the wheelchair mafia were running around like crazy. And seriously, and it's amazing. Dogs are amazing. So it's up to them. We can give them help, support, medication, surgery if they need it. And then it's up to them. And we will help them. But we will not... Uh, uh, yeah, we we'll probably try to you know keep them alive as much as po as long as possible. But if it's, it's like if it's go down now, it's it's not worth it. So that's that's my answer. We can't we don't choose. We just have them decide for us. Yeah, I think that's a good approach to kind of let the dogs decide. It's how much fight and life they've got left in them that you keep providing. Like you said, you keep providing the supportive care. And if they've got this will to live and get better, then they will. And there are yeah. some things that, you, that, that they're not going to survive, no matter how much they fight, obviously. But yeah, I, I think it's amazing. And, and I wonder actually how much sort of fight that, that dog, dogs that have lived a life that the dogs out there have, have they got more fight in them, fight to survive, than you know, the pampered pooches that perhaps we, we see over in the, in the UK, maybe. I think they have. I do think they have that. Yeah, I've seen cases like dogs coming in, they're half dead, million years old, and they keep on living for four or five years. Have to be time now. Come on. No? Okay. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, they do it's amazing. Yeah, they do surprise you sometimes, don't they? Some of these dogs, they, they just pull it out from somewhere. I, I had a dog named Coconut. I pulled him out of the old shelter in 2017. He was living in the foster home. He was uh, kind of bullied at that place. So I took him to my place. And he was fine until maybe six months ago. And then he, his muscles start to, you know, they, they, they couldn't work. He couldn't stand up. He didn't want to drink. He didn't want to eat. And uh, my head veterinarian at that time, she... As a Buddhist, and this is what they're blaming it on, couldn't put the dog to sleep. They don't believe in that. And I don't understand that because in my opinion, you are a profession before your religion. That's what I believe in. Anyway, and we, we sent him up to specialties in Bangkok and we put a tube in his uh, nose down to the stomach. So we had force feed him and he just pulled it out. And he, he didn't, I said, that's it. Come on, guys, you don't want to live anymore. So one of my vets, she said, I do it. That's, I'm fine. She's, she's a vet before her religion. And Coconut was, 
he couldn't stand up. He was just in a wheelchair and no life. So I decided to put my dog to sleep and it was time. So we sat all around him and yeah, <laughs> this is odd. But so sometimes we do make the decision. That's an interesting point that you made there actually that I, I'd not thought about is, is obviously there are some religious stances that euthanasia is not, not um, allowed or not, not sort of it's frowned upon. Um, do you, you, you struggle with that? I imagine with some of your vets then, as you've just mentioned. Well, we had a case, uh, we had a case today. A dog was running around in the area uh, four days back and they sent me a clip and I looked at the dog and he, I thought, that's rabies. Yeah, rabies. I saw the, in the clip. Managed to catch the dog and I said, be careful. I think that dog had rabies. And I just saw it over a clip. I wasn't here. I was in Bangkok. And they put him in our, we have a distemper unit. It's an airtight unit if we have distemper cases. They put him there. They put him inside a cage and then decided to let him out of the cage because he was the only one. They locked the door, gave him the food and water. The next day, approached uh, the doors and the glass windows and he was Rah! all over the place. And he, had, um, he was just raving and uh, so aggressive. We put him food and water. He couldn't drink water. I said, that's racist. You know, they wanted to eat. He cannot open the mouth and he, he wanted to eat. So today I said to the vet team, I said, today you're going to put him to sleep and, uh, and send him to a lab, the, the, the body, because he had rabies. He ripped down everything in the distemper, curtains, everything you can think about. It was a mess. Uh, so we, we, we uh, managed to get him into a cage and then we gave him some uh, cocktail or solitaire and so on. And he fell asleep and we opened up the vein and the vet put in the needles and then he measured the substance, but he didn't push it in. He couldn't push it in. So his assistant, our assistant did that. So that's how they do it. I asked him, he, I respect that, but as long as he don't, no, I refuse, no. So in, in one way he helped, but he didn't push in it because they believe in karma and, and so on. But I don't believe in that at all. I mean, I've always struggled with this, but how you can see the sort of suffering and still believe in karma. And <laughs> I don't understand that. You know, I don't, I don't get it. And it's like, why do you keep this dog alive? There is another case here. I, I just had a visitor. They asked me for help. There's a dog about 10 years old, paralyzed, living on top of a clinic in a cage 24-7 for 10 years. And then the, the, the couple who used the vet asked, what about this dog? Well, he's fine. He's happy. Of course, when you come up there one hour per day, of course, he's happy to see you. But what do you think about living a life? There? So they're trying to negotiate with her to, to retake over that dog. Maybe give like one or two golden years. I don't know. How, it's 10 years. I think it's a, it's a bigger dog. So let's say it's two, three years more, four years to live. So, but I said to him... I, the couple here said, if the dog is there 24-7 and only get company one hour a day, then it's better to put the dog to sleep. There's no point having a dog in a cage for 24-7 for 10 years. No way. No, and it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's welfare. Um, welfare, the quality of life and the welfare and the well-being and the health of the dog 
should be the number one priority of anyone involved in in looking after that dog in my opinion yeah. and and you know as a veterinary surgeon i'm the advocate for that that animal you know i have to speak for that animal and stand up for it and and say what's best for that animal and yeah sometimes the best thing for some animals is that they are put to sleep because that's yeah. better than what they are currently going through or will imminently go through and and actually you know i've always said like I, I, obviously in my job i, I have to euthanize animals obviously and i have a lot of people say to me you know how how do you do it well i do it because again i don't focus on the bad i focus on the good but also i don't put animals to sleep unless it's absolutely the last resort or only thing the best thing in that animal's welfare you know when i signed up to be a vet i took an oath that that, that my number one priority is the welfare of the animals in my care and that as you've said before you're a vet before you're anything else um yeah or your your religious beliefs or or anything i don't know how you can take that oath and then not do it but having said that it's an honor almost sometimes that we have the ability to be able to do that for animals that are suffering i don't know how my human medics cousins can do that and just cannot have euthanasia as part of their tool and just have to sit and watch people wither away and 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 i think i i do i do think they would like that a bit, to to make a decision with the family but it's against the law yes obviously <laughs> that, that's that's what it is in sweden it's against the law talking about this i do believe that uh, let's say in sweden they're too fast they're too quick to put to sleep they don't give the dog a chance also they don't have time to take care of the sick dog which i think is wrong if the dog is old it's not a sickness it's just old and here they wait too long so i would like to see like a middle path here like work for the dogs more or animals and please make them sleep if they need don't yeah. make them suffer no i absolutely yeah. agree some some middle ground is is the right way to go and i i suppose we're quite lucky over here that that's that's again part of my job as a vet on the advocate there for the animal and often i will have owners come in with their poorly pets and Sometimes they want you to tell them it's time because they can't make uh-huh, a decision yeah, yeah. themselves. Uh-huh. And yeah, you're the bearer of bad news, but ultimately again, you don't make that decision unless it's the right decision at the right time. And I often say to people, you know, sometimes it's better to do it a week early than a day late. That will sit with you forever if you do it too late. Yeah, it's a horrible thing. Let's move on to nicer things. You were saying about the wheelchair mafia. Where do you get the wheelchairs for for the dogs where where are they sourced are they made specifically for the dogs or are they just sort of generic ones that you get in from somewhere abroad or we buy them from a company called handicappedpets.com and i've been i purchased the first wheelchair for cork 10 years ago and i've been a steady customer and now i'm a really good customer <laughs> for them uh we we order from america and uh, they are great they're easy to put the dogs in and they they easy to run they can run fast the wheels are big foam wheels uh, bearings you know and the harness and so on so it's it's a good wheelchair not the most cheap one but i think the best quality for dogs like running like running like our dogs and running in the forest and swimming with them also are they tailored for each dog or are they just you measure up the dog and they send you the right size Yes, that's correct. 
that's they can that's what swim in them. I've seen I've seen the videos. Yeah, they can swim in them. I've you've got like a little pond or something that they go in or, yeah. or something, and and they just they and they just go. They they're, they're amazing. It's like yeah. they're not being held back. They don't even know they have got wheels. They just go. And no. sometimes think oh there's going to be a crash and the wheels are going to get you know caught up and they're going to fall over. But I've never seen that happen. If it happens well, behind the stage, behind the scenes that we have some. They 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 take the curve too fast and they and they and then they're like help hello <laughs> because they cannot get up and that's so funny and sometimes they they, they fall down a little uh, cliff or not cliff but a, a small hill and and they hello <laughs> so um, but but we have a uh, you know five six staff all the time that join them as I said um, you know they they have they don't know they're paralyzed they don't know they're handicapped. They have no idea. We say that they are that. They don't think so. No, exactly. You know? They've got their mobility and they can get from here yeah. to there and get around and do what they need to do. Then, then they're happy. Yeah. But even without wheelchairs in the, in the care unit, it's a little bit crowded now. We're going to expand in a, a month or so. You know, they're hoovering around. They hoover around. <laughs> so they, it, it's, 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 it's kind of funny to see. The thing is when you have a handicapped dog, they need walks, especially, I mean, when you have one or two, we have 34. If we don't walk them in the morning and do a hydrotherapy and in action all the time, like cleaning and laundry and do the afternoon walk, they would fight a lot because they, they cannot move around. The mobility is not the same as a normal dog. So they, they have a lot of energy. That's why we walk them so much and we do uh, activities with them. Talk me through a day in the life of the wheelchair mafia. Okay, the care unit wake up uh, at five, same as my time. I wake up at five also. And then, of course, they start to clean and pick up the blankets where they, the, the gang have slept on during the night. Then um, at, I think, about 5.30, they start to place them in the wheelchair. It takes about 10 minutes. And then they run out and walk. Uh, we have the same spot every morning for them they just they're the same there they run out and they go on adventures and so on in the afternoon we have a different path different ways we go uh then back about 6 30 and they prepare food take them out of the wheelchair clean the wheelchairs take, prepare the food and then they feed we don't only have paralyzed dogs there we have blind dogs old dogs so anyway we have a we have a 15 distemper survivors but distemper have entered the central nervous system already and they're also fine. They have some twitches and so on. But so usually they're cleaning, do laundry, hydrotherapy during the day, up to 11. And then usually staff and the dogs take a rest. And then one o'clock, it starts over again. Cleaning, laundry, and activate the dogs that walk. So they're on their, they're on their feet and wheels, the, the dogs, since uh, maybe five in the morning to five in the afternoon. And... Uh, Usually they start to sleep about seven, eight. So it's kind of quiet. Same as my dogs now, because they activate all day. You mentioned the distemper dogs as distemper survivors, which is fantastic, by the way. They're it's so fun. Like- they're, so, they're so fun. They're, they're, they're like dogs going back to child age. They're like puppies in a big body. I'm not joking. We have a, a guy, called, he, we call him Big Mouth. And he was here in 2017. We had a distemper outbreak. We had 80 dogs that got sick. Uh, 30 died, and most of them puppies. Big Mouth survived. 
And he's so funny. He's like a goofball. And it, no, seriously, I, I don't, we have, we have, all of them are the same. Twitching a little bit and, you know, and they're just fun. Why are there so many disabled dogs? Is it all because of cars and motorbikes? Oh, yes, most of them, yeah. Probably 99% of the cases that are paralyzed. Uh, a few get hit by people. Uh, they break a spine with an iron pipe. We have uh, one dog. This is a sad, sad story, but she's fine now. She was walking uh, as a normal dog a few years back. And there's a, a few teenagers with a BB gun that shot her seven times. And uh, three in the neck, three in the spine. And she was able to walk until next day. And the bullet penetrated and, and destroyed the nerves. Now she's paralyzed. What do people think about? Well, how can I do that? I know. Anyway, she's fine. She's fine now. She's with us. She has her own wheelchair. And, but so cruel. So anyway, most of the time, yes, it's traffic accidents. And we do have a few dogs that have two uh, legs, only front legs. We amputate the back leg because uh, some dogs, the, the legs, the back legs are just stuck in things. They, they get, they're all over the place. So most of them, they have the, the back legs draw uh, behind them like this, but some have, so it's better to amputate them. They get more mobile. The problem there, uh, uh, some of the dogs get prolapsed because of the, the, they don't have the muscles to hold it back. So, but we do uh, stitches up and so on. So, but it's fine. They're fine. I just wanted to go back to something you said earlier about the dog on the in the in the cage on the clinic because you were in negotiations to get this dog to come to the sanctuary. Uh, yeah, not me. The couple, the couple that have contacted me. Yes, they're on negotiations. Oh, right. So they're still talking. But it's just still ongoing, is it? We're not sure yet how that's going to go. I think they're going to smooth her up a little bit. This is also about losing face. I can take care of my dog myself. You cannot come here and tell me what to do. So they're trying to make her, you know, look at this place, look at the wheelchair, look at the wheelchair mafia. She can go out running, blah, blah, blah. So is, um, this is a bit random, but is the dog meat trade a thing in Thailand? Not in this area. Uh, I don't think it's, it's probably still there. I think so, but not that big because there are harsh penalties and people are tracking down on them. The, the police and the government and uh but i yeah of course i mean it's it's uh, smuggling tigers allowed or you know elephant the ivory is still illegal right but people still do it because they're money and they they pay good for it the killer price i don't know but it, it's it's a lot you don't hear a lot of, more about this now you don't 10 years ago there was a lot yeah. i think soy dog was involved in this a lot and they managed to catch many bad guys now where do you want the clinic to go in five years ten years what do you see happening you mentioned a couple of times about expanding the clinic etc what's your what's your what's your vision for the next five ten years what do you want to do uh the clinic is expanded already we are just uh, finalized the second floor for staff and one more admission room and it's fine i'm not going to do anymore we have two checkup rooms a surgery room a storeroom Admission room, we can keep maybe 40 or 50 animals. We have x-ray room, ultrasound, blood lab. We have a, what do you call it, dental, cavities. 
What's the name of that machine? Just a dental. We just call it a dental machine. Exactly that. There you go. That's and uh, I need a vet that is specialized in fractures. That's what I need. Otherwise, you're fine. No need anymore. And do you need this vet to be permanent, or can they come in sort of um, periodically to do stuff? You need someone there permanent. I would like that permanent uh, because I, I would like you know one is you know expert in medic medic medicine and. One is fractures, one is, you know, reading ultrasound and so on. So, But I would like uh, diversity of this. Now we have good vets, great team, uh, very soft people, care for the animals, but they cannot do a fracture. They can do amputations, but not a fracture. If there's any vets listening, uh, any orthopedic vets who want to go out to Thailand and uh, <laughs> work on the stray dog population for, for Michael then get in touch with me or get in touch with Michael directly. Um, yeah. We, we, the thing is that we can do... A, we, when you come here as a licensed vet from outside Thailand, you need to make a test. And the test is in Thai to get the license in Thailand. So right. you're screwed. Okay. But, <laughs> but we can make a presentation of a project and present and invite Judith Puttyfoot, for example. Uh, and you get the, uh, the temporary license or work permit to work with us. Like say it's two months, we're going to stay neutral and do fractures all over the, you know, whatever, you know, and, yeah. and that's okay. But we need to apply okay. for that first. And I think they said, I think they say yes. It's not like, there's so, there's, there's, uh, there's a lack of veterinarians in Thailand. There's lacking a lot. They're so difficult to find veterinarians. Well, if there's any uh, orthopedic vets who speak Thai, listening. Yeah, re read and speak. <laughs> listening. Read and speak or, Thai. or if you're Thai. Or, or if you're Thai. I'm not sure if this podcast yeah. reaches Thailand. But uh, yeah, if anyone's listening that can help out and has got all the prerequisite, uh, then, then get in touch. Please come. Please come. Talking of uh, stuff like that then, um, if there are listeners that want to help, do you accept volunteers to come out and help? Or is that not sort of how you're set up? Or is it more just... Uh, financial donations how can listeners help you out we accept volunteers uh we have one here now at the moment debbie from america we had uh, sandra from switzerland uh, two weeks ago so they start to come it's been very quiet because of covid but we accept volunteers yes and we have a volunteer program uh you pay us it's a symbolic it's not a symbolic sum you pay us what we pay the resort how much we pay for food, how much for the transportation if you go to the market and we drive you here and there. So we have that set up. It's not a lot of money. I think it's 6,000 baht per week. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much that in British pounds. I will do the translation and put it underneath. The oh, you do that. Okay. <laughs> 6,000 baht per week. And, uh, and if you want transfer from the airport, it's 2,000 baht. So it's, it's not a lot of cost mm -hmm. uh, for you guys. And I, I think it's fun. You can stay here for one week, two weeks, one month. Uh, if you want to stay longer than one month, we can uh, supply with the correct documents. So you can go to the Thai embassy and, uh, and apply for a volunteer visa. And that can be done also. So if you want to stay more than one month, I say maybe two months because one or two months, they don't do any checking up anyway. And yeah, do you so, take sort of veterinary trained volunteers or are these just volunteers to help out look after the dogs or dog lovers, whatever you want. You know, we have a uh, Sandra was a lawyer. 
she also sponsored one of our two our dogs so she, she met them in, in real life oh, wow so yeah so anyway yeah we accept volunteers we accept donations of course uh if you cannot donate you can share our page work or instagram or on twitter listeners can sponsor dogs as well yes we have a sponsorship program right now we have 162 dogs that are sponsored different packages and $80. And then you get different updates of these. So if you have the the big pack of $80, you get updates every month. Our goal is to have sponsor for all dogs, which means that we will cover the cost for for the operation. But we're far away from that. And are there specific dogs that you pick out now for sponsorship, ones that need that sort of extra bit of care? We went for, for, the, for the wheelchair mafia first, of course, because people are like, oh. But now we also, you know, we try to sponsor normal dogs. Uh, and I think, yeah, we have one, 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 she's a friend of mine. She's from Australia. She sponsored four dogs. And she get updates and then she posts on her Facebook. Yeah, hey, this is my picture of Mr. Tissue or I got my picture of, uh spot speedy and so on so yeah and do you give names to all the dogs you, you name them all yeah. i assume when they come in yeah yeah, yeah. and how do it's you hard think- sometimes <laughs> i can imagine are you running out of names yet yeah 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 well, i mean we start to do numbers now oh really right okay <laughs> i'm joking we actually i, I had a one uh, i think it was in 2016 was i walking my dogs i mean in the morning we were driving my dogs to a place we walked them and I saw a puppy coming out from under a tree. So I stopped the car and my staff went out. It was one, two, three, it was five, it was, it was 17 puppies. Oh my God. <laughs> 17 puppies. So I told the one staff, sit here, put, be with the puppies. I'm driving home my dogs. I'm coming back to get you. And then we drive to the clinic we used at that time. At that time, we actually called them one to 17. Because I ran out of names. One, two, three, it was too many. So um, we had the, we checked for parvo, parvo, corona, and distemper. And I have a picture of it. You see one, two, three, four, up to 17. <laughs> so, anyway, we have names on them all. Yes, we have names. Uh, and my staff, we have Thai names, Swedish names, English names, you know, and so on. And we, we name them after the staff. I have a dog named after me. They have beautiful blue eyes. I wonder why they named him after you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. So, so yeah, it's, we have names on one. And talking of COVID earlier, as you were, has COVID had a massive impact on the work that you're doing or the staff or any, anything of where you're running the sanctuary or the foundation or in the local community? Or Well, the biggest impact have been donations. Uh, we're down around 40%, and this has been for almost two years now. So that's a bit of a struggle. Also visitors we had almost no visitors for at least one one year and the visitors are good because they come here with dog food or rice or uh, blankets they take pictures they post on instagram and facebook and pr and then volunteers we didn't have many at all volunteers are great also as the same they can help out they post on instagram and you know, we, they get to see the place in real life. So the, the biggest is donations and then the visitors. Now we have started to get more volunteers. We have 
more visitors and donations. Right now, the cause of the war in Ukraine is also suffering on that. So it's, it's a little bit hard right now. And uh, luckily, we have an emergency fund, which I don't like to dig from, but maybe soon we have to. I guess it's difficult to teach um, a stray sort of street dog halfway through its life. Don't get up on the bed. Don't get, don't get on the dining room table. <laughs> Could you teach it all well, well, tricks? Well, actually, yeah, but actually, the thing is, if you have a stray dog, they usually don't go inside the house. Maybe, you know, they were raised to not go into the house. So sometimes it's difficult for them to come into the house. But my dogs have been, they, they, they found on the streets. But my three siblings, Rosie, Shai, and Carol, they just dumped there. They had never lived there. So they're not straight, they're not street dogs. Uh, Cafe and Love, same. So I took them in, they were young. Except, uh, well, I have a few older dogs, but they're fine. They, they, they just walk around and it's their home. I don't, I don't care to teach them. Don't do that. Don't, I don't. I don't do, I don't do, I don't do sit. I don't do roll over. I don't do that. No, you just let them be. I, I, I personally, I don't like when people that sit and the dogs for what? Yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's like having a puppet. It's like, no, a puppet, a puppet. Sit, yeah. stand. I think I suppose sometimes we can be a bit guilty over here in the West if we own the dog. We, the dog is ours and we command it and the dog will do as we say. And to me, that's always grated on me. I've never, it's never sat well with me. I'm not comfortable with that, the way of looking at that. Um, I think to own a dog, it's, you don't own it so much as you're responsible for it. The, the ownership is that you're responsible for it. Absolutely. You're responsible for its health and its welfare and its well-being, of course. But actually, to me, having a dog is more like having a buddy, you know, a, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a, a partnership. And you just yeah. let the dog kind of be itself. You don't command it. And, oh, one of my little bugbears, um, if I'm just driving along the street and I see someone who's got a dog and the dog has stopped to sniff something or pee something. Oh, they pull it. Yeah. yeah and it gets yanked on the lead. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This. Oh, it drives me mad. You know, that person's yeah. life. You think it just wants to sniff a tree. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do. I do. I, I do understand if people don't. I don't want the dogs in the bed. I understand that. That's fine. You set your rules. I'm fine with that. You know, same with you have kids. Don't go in that room. That's my office. That's fine. But I don't have that. I don't have it. I don't. I don't command them to do anything. The only thing when I'm out walking, we walk my dogs in the morning at five forty-five a.m. and we walk. Not all dogs. Somebody have to stay home. She's blind. She's 17. She has dementia now. And she she's so she's like she's 17. She's like 100 years old. And she sings. Blind and deaf. She don't walk. And then uh, anyway, we, I have like 40, 13, 14 dogs. I'm walking in the morning. So the only thing I have is my whistle. So they know where I'm going. And I have my staff. I walk first. Three staff behind me in the lead, and we just make sure the dogs are with us. And they sniff and they do their business, and sometimes they're running after a water monitor or whatever. But so that's the only thing I have my whistle for them to come. Yeah. I, I, you're probably, well, uh, you're definitely the same as me that I've always said I'm as comfortable in the company of a dog as I am any human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, like you, you're not alone when you've got a dog. 
It's, no, you know. And they don't talk back. They're great conversationists. You can just. Oh, they talk back. Well, I, they do indeed. Yeah. Corky talk. Corky talk back. He like look at me sometimes and, oh, oh, and he talks. And I said, because I have as I said, eighteen dogs. I live next to the shelter. I, I live at the shelter. So whenever we have dogs outside, of course my dogs is there barking. So I, I, I teach them one word: is shut up. And they usually do that. <laughs> I, I think that's fair enough. You know, two commands: come here and shut up. <laughs> Whistle and shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's all you that's need. What that's need. all you need. Well, listen, Michael, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been absolutely brilliant to get to know a little bit more about what happens out there. And yeah, thanks for having me. No, absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you for agreeing to come on. And I will continue to get my uh, pick-me-up videos from the Wheelchair Mafia. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so keep, keep posting those just for me. If nobody... I will. Yeah, I will put all the contact details um, for, for your foundation under the podcast, obviously, where everyone can, can get to that. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to get in touch with me, then you can simply email me on theunderdogvetpodcast at gmail.com or get in touch via Instagram, where you'll find me as, yes, the Underdog Vet Podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe via your favourite platform. And please note that the Underdog Vet Podcast is entirely independent. It's just me, Dr. Judy Puddyfoot, speaking as an individual. No affiliations with any organisations, charity or businesses are made or implied unless I specifically mention it. <laughs>